Hi, I'm Juliet Marquis, and this is Let's Unpack It. In the last episode, Calling Matters by What They Are, if you haven't heard it, I recommend you go back to listen. I asked Shaman Keitner, professor of international law at UC Hastings and former counselor on international law at the State Department, about the legal framework of Russia's war crimes and what the consequences could be. But one of the things that struck me was why Russia's propaganda was just so sticky. I decided to talk to someone who has spent a lot of time studying just that question. My name is Olga Lautman. I've been my whole life following Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe. My official position is I'm a senior fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis, and my portfolio is Russia, Ukraine, and Russia's hybrid warfare playbook and tools and methods and tactics. Then I host Kremlin File Podcast, which starts off from the Soviet Union and walks us through to today showing Russia's hybrid warfare tools focus on Ukraine, this war, where we're going. A little background. Ukraine's pro-European trajectory was abruptly halted in November 2013, when Ukraine's then-president Viktor Yanukovych refused to move forward with the long-negotiated EU trade agreement just days before its signing. The accord was meant to integrate more closely political and economic ties between EU and Ukraine, but Yanukovych bowed to the intense pressure from Moscow to back out. Street protests erupted in Kiev, with crowds gathering in Kiev's center called Maidan Nezeleznesti, meaning Independence Square. Police violently dispersed the crowds, which emboldened more demonstrators to come out, protesting the brutality of the government's reaction and demanding for Yanukovych to resign. Yanukovych, in turn, signed a series of laws restricting the right to protest, which drew hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian citizens to the streets of Kiev in defiance. At certain points, more than a million demonstrators flooded Kiev streets. Bloody clashes between police and protesters continued as protesters refused to leave Maidan Square, camping out in the brutal winter temperatures for what turned into a three-month standoff. EU officials threatened sanctions against Ukraine unless the Yanukovych administration took steps to de-escalate the violence. Yanukovych, in response, clamped down even harder, with his police and government security forces firing indiscriminately on crowds of protesters. Scores were killed and many more wounded. EU leaders moved forward and enacted sanctions against Ukraine, causing the opposition to further demand an overturn of Ukraine's constitution and Yanukovych's resignation. With his power base crumbling, on February 22nd, before dawn, Yanukovych fled the capital to Russia ahead of an impeachment vote that would strip him of his powers as president. On February 24th, an interim Ukrainian government charged Yanukovych with mass murder in connection with the deaths of the Maidan protesters and issued a warrant for his arrest. The Maidan uprising came to be known as the Revolution of Dignity and came to define a generation as the people's will for independence. You know, one of the things I hear from very intelligent people, they say this narrative that the CIA was clearly behind the Maidan because it was so organized. And how can regular citizens organize themselves that way? What would you say about that? 
I think it's absurd. It's a Russian talking point because Russia at home has taken control of everything. And you can't even like a post, forget even commenting on anything without having FSB coming to that. So Ukraine is next door. Can you imagine? I mean, what are they going to say? Ukrainian people, you know, didn't like this president. He was corrupt and they all came out. That is going to start turning heads inside of Russians. And they'll be like, wait a minute, if they could do it, we could do it. So what does Russia do? What they've done since Soviet days, since the KGB did this, the CIA did it. Why? Because if Ukrainians can come out to Maidan on their own, then that gives the possibility eventually for Russians to be able to come out on their own. But if Ukrainians are doing it because they're getting a complete logistical and, you know, full support from, for instance, the CIA, Russians will be like, well, we can't pull that off because we don't have support of the CIA. Russia sends the Soviet days, KGB, their number one tool was disinformation. That is their most powerful tool, and it continued on to today. Now, the only thing that happened is that during the Soviet times, if a KGB agent placed an ad in an American paper, for them, that was like, ooh, active measures, success. Maybe 30 people will read it. Now, they can actually put it out, and in minutes, it will be generated through the whole globe with billions of views because of their bots and trolls and operations that they run to tap onto algorithms. So now they have a much higher reach and that's where the danger comes. Uh, what was happening within Russia this past year? We know about the military buildup and we know about what was happening in terms of President Zelensky in August of 2021 held a conference about taking back Crimea and something like 46 states were there in agreement that we should. So that's on the Ukraine side. So what was happening inside Russia that was pressuring Putin to go to such drastic measures? If you look, they decided to execute this invasion around our election. Somewhere around that fall, they decided they're going to go through with it. It's the right time. And then by last February, like over a year ago, they start building up the military troops. February, March, April, all you see is tanks being loaded up in different parts of Russia and then traveling towards Ukraine's borders. And then Putin extorts a meeting with Biden and they have the summit. And in agreement for that meeting, he said, oh, we're going to pull back, you know, from Ukraine's borders. Wonderful. He said it. Did they pull back? No. They shifted up maybe 10 or 20,000 troops out, which is normal. Troops you can shift around in very fair speed. But they kept all the military equipment there. And But then by the time he was sitting with Biden, around that June, you started seeing a shift in Russian propaganda. And they've always, since 2014, they've called Ukrainians Nazis. And they're a creation of U.S. Again, this goes back centuries, this division between Ukrainians and Russians. But here, by June, it started shifting of dehumanizing Ukrainians and they don't exist. They've had it before and they've said it before. And when they say it, you know, and have a few shows here and there because they're obsessed with Ukraine, it's not alarming. But the intensity it was coming with. And then Putin comes out and writes this essay in July. That complete rewrite of history. And between that, the media elements, the propagandists, and everything just took a very orchestrated, coordinated shift 
towards Ukraine and you still have the military. By August, you see Lukashenko, who now is completely Putin puppet. You saw Lukashenko and Putin start running this migration crisis on Poland's and Lithuania's border. Now they are threatening Europe that if you even attempt, this is the chaos we could cause. Because then later on it came out that first of all, it was an organized operation. Second of all, they were making money off of this operation because they were literally, these weren't migrants who escaped the war. You know, they said, do you want a better life in Germany? Pay us this much money and we'll take you to Belarus and you go cross the border and have a better life. So they were selling these newfound European lives that they were supposed to have. And then when they got there and were thrown on the border, they didn't understand what was going on. But then when you look back, they actually devised this plan, Putin and Lukashenko, in May. So you see that this was even organized before the Biden meeting. And then by September, you see now Europe being threatened with this migrant crisis, a chaos and distraction on the border. Russia at the same time is moving military equipment more and starting to move in troops and get into position. And they spent all of September, October, November. And at the same time, they weaponize energy. And now suddenly they're threatening Europe. We're going to cut off gas. We're not going to supply this. At a few points, they even reversed the gas flow from Poland to Germany on the Yamal pipeline. It actually started going back reverse. So it was basically Russia sending threat to them that if you think about any kind of response, this is the pain you're going to feel between the, the energy, between migrants. You saw all of this come together. And this is even before the NATO talking points started. December, inside of Russia, they completely shifted their now media completely, forgot about Ukraine temporarily, and it was the U.S. and NATO are about to send a nuclear weapon to Russian soil. And this is the headlines every day, and they're talking about this attack coming any moment, and that Russia might have to be involved in a nuclear war with the West. And that's what they were doing, using fear-mongering tactics inside of Russia. Outside of Russia, they were using their puppet journalists and think tank people, and Russia has infiltrated every industry, to put out the same message. Oh, what, we're going to go to World War Three for Ukraine? This is going to lead to a nuclear war. So now you have the Russians being fed this and Russia pushing it back out towards us. And it's being pushed through social media and again, bots and trolls. And it's like, you make one comment about Ukraine. Well, there's going to be a nuclear fallout. There's going to be World War III. So they're using these fear mongering tactics. They had a few talking points. And at the same time, you see this back to dehumanizing of Ukrainians. And by February, it just goes all off the charts. And they start, I remember two weeks prior, not only were they warning of false flag operations that Ukrainians and U.S. suddenly doing, but at the same time, you start this complete shift, very sharp. You start the shift from a Ukrainian, nonetheless, who um, worked for Medvedchuk, who is Putin's ally and who was supposedly supposed to seize the country and eventually his people were supposed to take power. He puts on Telegram one night, that uh, Zelensky's government is well, executing Russians and committing genocide. The minute he put it on Telegram, it wasn't even 45 seconds. It's breaking news across all Russian media. Taz, Ria Novosti, you know, across the country, not even in eastern Ukraine. It's across the whole country. 
And then from there, you just see this whole Nazi thing shape up. And every single day from Putin himself saying Ukrainians are Nazis, uh, nonetheless, with the German chancellor on stage, to every propagandist, to every political person in the Kremlin, everyone shifts for two straight weeks Nazis. On the day before Putin, overnight our time here in U.S., launched this uh, war, the air campaign, that whole day they played Soviet movies of the Soviet Union defeating Nazis. So it was very, very organized and very orchestrated. And, you know, they knew what they were doing. And, you know, what really sticks out to me is this disinformation as a main tool. I mean, really, it's like in communist era, right? It's all about the story you tell as opposed to the muscles you have, because it's all a facade. Absolutely. Russia is like the Wizard of Oz. They put this fear into everyone and everyone's walking around and shaking and shaking and shaking. But then when you go and actually uncover, it's like you see this little shrimp sitting there with a microphone and creating a bigger illusion than what actually is the real thing. And this is exactly what it is, because with Russia, it's propaganda first. I mean, they really convinced the whole West that they had one of the strongest militaries. How could they have a strong military if they're issuing a military contract, say, to the defense ministry? Out of that, the amount that actually goes to invest into something is so small because everyone else is lining their pockets on the way. But they create this whole thing with disinformation and propaganda. Granted, with that said, they have no logistics, no discipline, no nothing. They have the cruelty. And that is their kinetic tactic, whereas a Western military strategizes and figures out with Russia, their military strategy since Soviet days is just burn everything to the ground and kill everyone in your path. And here it's even more personal because it's Ukrainians and they really, I call it a genocide. They want to erase Ukrainians. They want to erase Ukrainian culture. They want to erase anything and everything that resembles, you know, Ukraine. They want it wiped off. They're even removing the word Ukraine out of books inside of Russia, you know. There was a video that the actor, his name is Artur Smolenikov. It's basically an interview for an hour and a half. He's in Moscow and he's a Russian celebrity and he comes out, you know, unmistakably against the war, but not just says a sentence, this is wrong, but for an hour and a half really dives into what this is, the monster that the Russian Federation has become and the torment of Russians who are patriotic and love the idea of Russia as their motherland, but that it's been completely destroyed by these powers. What is the Russian experience who can see what's going on? It's hard to explain. There is a good percentage of Russians and it has nothing to do with Putin. And this is why I say the problem is bigger than Putin. There is a percentage, a high percentage of Russians who actually welcome this. And they welcome it because, again, it goes to this century-old tensions where the Russians always look down at the Ukrainians. They've looked down at Jews. They like kind of saw them as second and third class citizens. So you have a lot of that inside of Russia where, you know, they 
want Ukraine destroyed. And that's why when you see the poll numbers, people are like, oh, well, Putin makes up polls. I absolutely agree. The Kremlin will make up the polls. But there are, at the beginning, as the war continues, as there are more losses, you know, things are going to change because humans are humans. But there is that support. And at the beginning, there was that genuine support of finally taking out Ukraine. But the problem is still bigger. And you even see with the military, because the military strategy, you know, is say, okay, go into Bucha, capture Bucha. There is no Russian military doctrine that says go into Bucha, go into every house, rape the women, cut their tongues off. If someone refuses to give loyalty to Russia, cut their hands off, cut their tongues off, mutilate them. That is pure hatred. That's not a military doctrine. That is something much, much personal and deeper. And again, it's not for all of Russia because you still have some opposition who was speaking out. But even all the opposition who are speaking out now and have been over the years, back in 2014, they weren't. They were happy for the when Russia invaded Crimea and said, finally, Crimea is being returned to us. One final point, you mentioned he's an actor, right? The Kremlin is recognizing this problem because you have quite a handful of celebrities, ballerinas, and people who are very well known and have a huge following making these remarks. And that is absolutely driving the Kremlin crazy because they see it as a potential problem of people diverting from the official state line. I've spoken to, you know, opposition leaders who are in Europe or here. The day of the war, they look like, like someone died. Like they just sat there. They couldn't even compose a sentence because of how shocking this was. I mean, look, they, they know, that's it, Russia will be destroyed. And they understand it being from the outside better than Russians on the inside, that Russians will be looked at for the next century for these atrocities. Because now, you know, people can't look at Russians the same way prior to this, especially the people who are still inside of Russia and supporting the war. There is a group, and I don't know how much of it was propaganda. I'd love your opinion on it. They're calling themselves Legion of Russia. They have a Telegram channel with 50,000 followers, and they're not going to Ukraine. They are basically mobilizing inside Russia to eventually overthrow the government. This is the, you know, overthrow Putin, to get rid of Putin. And they have their own flag, which is one blue stripe and two white stripes. And the symbol is an L for a legion or liberty. And they spray Wait, paint inside it. inside Russia? Inside Russia. If it's inside Russia, that's FSB. There is no way that anybody can organize anything to overthrow anyone uh, without it being a Russian intelligence operation. Why? Uh, because inside Russia, they create these type of operations in order to see who is not following orders. And if they start this group and then they see people liking it, commenting, joining, if this group starts collect, telling people, go to this meeting here, go here, do this, you know, the FSB will just collect lists and then eventually when they have enough, they'll at any moment make an example of them. They've always run even fake political parties. People now are discussing Putin being sick. Suddenly the rumors came out, but they do it just to see, like they put out the chatter, he's dying. And then they want to see who, if anyone is making any power moves 
or preparing or making meetings or calling anyone. And it's uh, back to Soviet days. This is what the Soviets did. And here Putin is so paranoid that each agency of his, each intelligence agency spies on each other. And they all have units within and they have units who monitor the oligarchs to make sure that no one is preparing anything. They have units that monitor like each other to make sure no one's cooperating with the West. No one's attempting a power grab. A poor professor, body, just a regular Moscow professor. When the editor from Nova Gazeta won the Peace Prize, the poor professor liked a comment on Telegram and said, oh, congratulations. Russia had named him as a foreign agent and Nova Gazeta as a foreign agent. This professor who is a nobody, it's like pulling, I don't know, in your local school, some teacher. He was on his way to Moscow school to make a speech FSB standing at the door and arrest him just for writing congratulations. So, I mean, that's a control it's under. He's nobody. He's no example to me made of. He's not a famous professor. He's not political scientist. He's just like a regular university professor that no one's ever heard of besides his students and colleagues. Yeah, it's like the perfect example to be made of is saying to people, you think that you are under the radar because you are not anyone significant in society, well, we will take the time to get every one of you. Yep, a hundred percent. And so you don't believe that Putin is sick? I'm very curious about this because particularly now with this whole, he has thyroid cancer, that there's satellite images of a private hospital built on the edge of Europe on, on the presidential property. You don't believe any of that is true? I honestly don't. So they started these games in 2007 via political scientist who's an FSB collaborator. And at the time they put out that Putin is sick and not going to have much time. And then came the Georgia invasion. Then they did it right around the Crimea. And then I believe it was 2015 that they disappeared Putin for 10 days. And like all these rumors were swirling, where's Putin? Did he die? Is he alive? What's happening? You know, and over the years, they always do it to kind of check to see if anyone's trying to lie for power. And then interestingly enough, usually they do it in Russian for the, the Russian domestic audience. And it's not, not breaking news on like their main thing. It's kind of goes through a series of channels. This political scientist will make a comment on like some talk show. The main channels will never pick it up, but then it'll go through secondary channels and that chatter picks up. But interestingly enough, he came out and made a comment when Biden won the election. So he made this comment a few days after Biden won the election and it was announced that that said he is the winner. He went to a Western outlet, this rag outlet in Britain, and he told them that Putin is sick. He has one year to live. He has Parkinson's. He's not going to make it. And interestingly enough, he fed this to the Western audience and it could have had two purposes. One, to deliver to the West because they knew now with the Biden administration that there's going to be a lot of focus on making sure Putin pays back for his, you know, cyber attacks, election attacks and everything in between. And that could have said, well, if Putin is dying and there's going to be a new leader, maybe we should hold off. But it also, they do it sometimes put it in a Western outlet to bounce it back into Russia. So it sounds more official because now it's like, oh, the British news are reporting this. So it must be true. And then the final point on that is not only are they monitoring everyone in any potential moves, they also, it's a psychological operation. Well, Putin, he's not going to be here. He's sick. He's old. That way people 
aren't going to organize for a revolution because they're going to think that the problem is going to solve itself because he's dying. If you remember the Soviet days, when a leader died, they would hide it. Sometimes six months, you wouldn't know the person is dead. It's the opposite. And you think in the middle of a war, and this is Russia's first, first war. I mean, they've, you know, gone into operations of taking pieces. They've never fully attempted to conquer a country. Do you think in the midst of this war and this failure, knowing that there's a bounty on his head by probably everyone from oligarchs to governments to people? So I think it's more games, more distraction. Do you feel like Putin is really the linchpin in this whole game? Is he the czar in charge or is he more of a puppet? for the group of people who are in charge and he just is given the, you know, he's like the mascot. No, I think he is in charge. I think he's positioned himself and secured himself to be the main one in charge because right now you see if he could humiliate his general chief of staff and throw him into Izium to go on a local small operation. I mean, that's absurd, but it's funny. It's sending a message. He will humiliate the people around him. He is the linchpin. With that said, the problem doesn't stop with him. The system is rotten. And it's a combination of the Soviet system with Putin's kleptocratic system that he created and solidified. I do think what he's doing in Ukraine will be the downfall for him. But I also think we can take our eyes off of Russia after that and think the problem is over. Because if he dies, Russia will be destabilized for a few years as they fight for power inside. And that's where we have an opportunity to catch up, build very solid defenses against uh, disinformation operations, cyber attacks, and kind of catch up to what we've fallen behind. But then eventually they will still reemerge the way it is now. It might take another decade, but it will go on to that path unless their system is broken. If the system is broken and the country starts from new, then you actually have some kind of a potential for for that. But I honestly don't see it right now because there's just too much corruption, too much. What about part of the reason why Ukraine hasn't been allowed to join the EU and or NATO for that matter is because of the corruption that has been so prevalent all these years. And there's been a lot of pointing out that Zelensky's different and Zelensky was truly elected by the people. But then Zelensky hired someone in his staff that is connected to the Kremlin. And, and a lot of people will use that as saying, see, look, he's corrupt, too, because yeah. he hired that person. So at the beginning of this war, I mean, all of that's been put down because right now it is triage, essentially. So you have to focus on the thing in front of you. But what about that? What will happen? Ukraine will win the war. And then what? How does Ukraine become anew? So with that, the major difference, as I say, the systems are corrupt uh, because uh, Ukraine also had a corrupt system because it came from the same Soviet Union that had a corrupt system. Russia's system is rotten to the core. The difference, the main, main difference between Russia and Ukraine are the people. Ukrainian people, they want accountability. You see how many anti-corruption organizations there are. They want to root out this corruption and they fight for it. There's a free press. They do investigations. So for instance, you see, you know, I remember the people you're discussing surrounding Zelensky. I remember journalists literally hiding in trunks of cars to take pictures of uh, his people meeting with oligarchs. And that's the difference. When 
when you have a free press and when you have a very hands-on civil society, Zelensky makes one wrong move tomorrow, says, you know, I'm handing this back to the the country over to Russia. I'm just going to give hard giveaway to Russia. I, it doesn't matter what the West made of him into a hero. The civil society will go and drag him out and like throw him over the Russian border. You know, they're not going to allow that. And that's the checks comes from the and a very, very engaged civil society. And from a very robust free press, there are excellent, excellent investigative journalists who do the work. And despite Russia infiltrating their media and the Russian pro-Russian oligarchs owning probably a 1.70% of the media, the investigative journalists still manage to get through all the investigations, always splattered across all the news. And that makes a huge difference. And as far as corruption for the Germanys and other countries, they've exposed themselves that they are even worse than Ukraine <laughs> because they are supposed to be someone you look up to. And meanwhile, Nord Stream 2 project, Putin was a KGB agent who served in Dresden. Nord Stream 2 is headed by Warnick. Warnick was a Stasi agent in Dresden that Putin recruited in the 80s. So it's like, to me, it was so mind-boggling that you have two intelligence agents, including one recruit by Putin, who are now handling this pipeline. For the countries who have anything to say about Ukraine, they should go look at Schroeder, they should go look at inside their own closet because they're the ones who enabled all the money laundering, enabled all their institutions, London, I mean, it's London grad. How much Russian money that was stolen from Russia is inside of London? How many lawyers are on the Kremlin's payroll, accountants. I mean, a journalist in Britain can't even operate freely because, uh, you know, the oligarchs will hire British lawyers to sue them in British courts. So before anyone discusses corruption, they really should look inside there with Ukrainians because they came from a place of not having freedom for centuries, was on and off. But after the Soviet Union, they enjoyed this freedom. They're never going to let go of this freedom. And they will make sure that, you know, anyone who attempts to destroy the country or move it into the wrong direction will be held accountable. And you see, I mean, it's fascinating. Some of the journalists are like 18 years old. And they're just like, we here, we have our 18-year-olds in America who are like sipping lattes and like, you know, uh, like on TikTok, making videos and whatever. And there, they're actually fighting for a corrupt free Ukraine. And now, if anything, I think Europe and US have a lot to learn from Ukraine, both on the military, because the military leaders in countries in Europe and US, they're going to be studying this military war, the military aspect, and how Ukrainians, half-armed at the beginning, were able to push back form small formations to take out columns of tanks after this is all said and done. The whole country is going to be brand new. Ukraine is going to come out a million times stronger. I really appreciate your point of view and your expertise. And you're also very candid, which is very nice. Thank you again. And hopefully I can connect with you again. Definitely, definitely. This is Let's Unpack It. I'm Juliet Marquis. Till next time.